everybody out there in podcast land. This is Chris, the public safety guru. Before we begin today's lecture, I want to remind everybody that you can follow us on Instagram. The links are in our bio, as well as we are inviting you to participate in our new website, which is www.thepublicsafetyguru.com. You can register. Registration is free. Registration will always be free. The website is designed for those of you that are entering the public safety world. We want to be able to give you all the information we have so that you can be as successful as we were. Okay, so enough with the self-promotions. Let's go ahead and get started with your next lecture. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about the structure of the respiratory system as well as the physiology associated with it. So, what does our respiratory system do? It is the passage for oxygen, O2, to enter and for carbon, carbon dioxide to exit, CO2. The ultimate purpose of our respiratory system is gas exchange. Now, there are some other functions which the respiratory system is associated with our immunity system as well as speech. So we're now going to be talking about the anatomy of the respiratory system and we're going to break this down to two parts, upper airway and lower airway. Now the upper airway warms, filters, and humidifies the air. The lower airway is for gas exchange and filtration. Now, if we were looking at a chart of the upper respiratory system, starting at the very top of the head and working our way down to the lungs, this is what our upper respiratory system would consist of. The nasal pharynx, nasal air passage, pharynx, mouth, oral pharynx, and the epiglottis. These structures are what make up the upper airway. If we wanted to dummify this, make it firefighter proof, the upper airway would be the nose, mouth, and tongue. See, I think uh, that commercial where they say even it's so easy that even a caveman can do, I think we should actually change that and say it's so easy even a firefighter can do. Ha, if you're in my class, you know what this is all about. I like to make fun of the fire service since I'm in the police service, so it's just that war between cops and firefighters that's been going on uh, who knows for how long. All right, let's get back to this. The most common airway obstruction is the tongue. It's like, where the heck did that slide just all of a sudden come from? Uh, let's throw a slide in the middle of our lecture talking about obstructions as opposed to just moving on with what is the lower airway. And that's actually what we're going to do right now. So what are the structures of the lower airway? All right, once again, if we're looking at our diagram, it's going to be the larynx, the trachea, the main bronchi, the bronchioles, and the alveoli. These are the structures that make the lower airway up. Okay, so now let's talk about the lungs. The lungs have five lobes. We have three lobes on the right lung, which are the upper lobe, the middle lobe, and the lower lobe, and then on the left lung, we have the upper lobe and the lower lobe. The lungs are pleural tissue, and we have visceral and parietal tissue. Visceral and parietal tissue. Parietal is the tissue that is the outside of the lung. Visceral is on the inside. Now, all of this is for essentially gas exchange. 
and gas exchange takes place at the smallest unit of the lungs known as the alveoli, A-L-V-E-O-L-I. We have over 300 million alveoli in our bodies, and these just consist of tiny capillaries where oxygen and carbon dioxide are exchanged. Now, of course, our respiratory system has some protections. The ribcage protects the respiratory system. The epiglottis does with a gag reflex, cilia, and mucous membranes. These are all protective structures of the respiratory system. Now, there are some subtle differences between the adult and pediatric system, such as in peds, the system is still very soft, so it's much more prone to injury, as well as the tongue. Uh, proportionately, the tongue of a child and infant is much larger than it is as an adult. So these are subtle changes that can affect how we deal with our patients. Since we are talking about the respiratory system, some definitions that you need to be familiar with are tachypnea, bradynipnea, and eunipnea. Tachypnea is spelled T-A-C-H-Y-P-N-E-A, and bradynipnea is B-R-A-D-Y-P-N-E-A, and eunipnea is E-U-P-N-E-A. You should know these definitions, and you should be referring to your book as well as this lecture when you're preparing for your test. So we've already talked about the fundamental function of the respiratory system. The non-respiratory functions are airflow for speech, mucus and cilia removes noxious particles, defense against infection, which is those, those defense mechanisms are mucosa, microphages, and, and that are uh, located in the distal airways and the alveoli. So, oh God, I gotta stop using that word. So, the muscles of breathing. The primary muscles of breathing are the diaphragm, the intercostals, which will appear effortless. We should not be seeing those intercostals until someone is having difficulty breathing. The accessory muscles are there as well, and we only see those when laboring, and we'll be talking about that in just a bit. So, your accessory muscles. Your accessory muscles, we have some in the neck known as the sternocleidomastoid. We also have our shoulder ones, which are the trapezias. And then we have our pectoral muscles, abdominal muscles, and the intercostals. Normally, we do not see our patients or just throughout the day, people are not using these per se when they're breathing. Every little bit is moving around in that type, but since we're not having any difficulty breathing, breathing should appear effortless. This is why I tell my students that when you are doing skills you need to assess normal because everything that is not normal is abnormal and that's when you start to pick up stuff. That's why we listen to lung sounds on small people, on big people, on skinny people, on people who have some weight on them. This is what you need to do. You also need to listen to lungs when you're in a quiet room as well as in the back of the ambulance. These are all skills that are going to make you a great EMT. I hate it when people say, well, I can't get lung sounds because we're moving the back of the ambulance. No, that's a lazy EMT. 100% a lazy EMT. You can get lung sounds in the moving ambulance just as well as you can get a full blood pressure in the moving ambulance. That's a bunch of you-know-what. All right. Off my soapbox again. So during inspiration, the intercostal muscles will contract and pull the ribs up and outward. 
the lungs will expand. The diaphragm contracts and moves down and outward. This is inspiration. You may want to rewind this and listen to it again because we will have test questions on which way the diaphragm goes during inspiration and expiration. During expiration, the intercostal muscles will relax and the ribs will go back to a normal position. The lungs recoil. The diaphragm relaxes and moves upward. This is expiration. Each breath that we take in consists of 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen, and 1% other. When we breathe out, that breath contains 78% nitrogen, 16% oxygen, 4-5% carbon dioxide, and 1% other. This is why mouth-to-mouth works. If I suck in 21% oxygen and then I breathe out into an apneic patient, that means that patient is going to get 14% oxygen and then they're only going to use 7, 6-7% to and they're going to even exhale enough oxygen to help another person. So that's why it works. So some further definitions that you need to know, especially for your national registry, are respirations, ventilations, tidal volume, and minute volume. Now just know minute volume is a formula, and that formula is respiratory rate times tidal volume. You need to memorize that. This is a 3 by 5 card. For those of you that are new to my podcast, I will occasionally say this is a 3 by 5 card. I believe, in my experience, that there are just some things that we just need to memorize, not so much understand, but it's just that way. we got to memorize the rule of nines, the Cincinnati Stroke Assessment. These are just things that you're going to have to memorize. And over time, they'll be in the back of your memory, and then you'll be able to recall them. But when we're first learning, unfortunately, these are just some of the things that we have to do. Now, our respiratory rate, how fast we breathe a minute, this is involuntary. However, we all know that we can control this, right? I mean, hence the reason why we're able to take a deep breath, go underneath the water. Chemical and physical mechanisms provide involuntary impulses to correct any breathing irregularities. So remember that. Your body, it's an involuntary function. We can only hold our breath for so long, and then we will have to breathe. This is based on chemical and physical mechanisms in our body. The average adult breathes 12 to 20 times a minute. This is what is considered normal. So at this point, this is what I like to tell my class. We are carbon dioxide breathers. We have carbon dioxide chemoreceptors in our brain that sense the level of carbon dioxide in the body. This is what stimulates us to breathe. This is our primary breathing mechanism. Now we have a backup, and this is a hypoxic drive, and this is what we call, the once again, the backup system. This is based on oxygen now. And for whatever reason, the CO2 chemoreceptors have been knocked out and the backup has taken place. So those patients are stimulated by the amount of oxygen that's in their system, not carbon dioxide like you and I. This backup drive can become the primary stimulus for some patients. So you probably heard chemoreceptors. So we have central chemoreceptors and peripheral chemoreceptors. Our central chemoreceptors are in the brain and those are carbon dioxide based. Your peripheral chemoreceptors are located in the lungs, and once again, that's a hypoxic drive and they sense low levels of oxygen. 
Now, you may be asking, who are these patients? Well, these patients are our COPD patients. These are the ones that have done so much damage to their body over the years or through a disease process have now become COPD. Now, there are different types of breathing patterns. We have normal, that's you and me, chain stokes, hyperventilation, ataxia, agno, and apnea. If we were to hook our patients up to a machine that can give us a readout like an EKG on breathing patterns, you would be able to see the difference. What I want you to take away from this part is this. When you have somebody who is breathing fast and then they stop apnea, this is known as chain stokes. So the key here is that if you see a test question that talks about a fast breathing pattern with periods of apnea, that is chain stokes. Now, for purposes of my sponsors, I'm going to go ahead and take a quick break here, and we are going to listen to one of our sponsors for this podcast. All right, let's get started again. Let's talk about lung sounds and breath sounds. When we are assessing a patient's breath sounds, we are trying to determine if they're present and if they're equal. Do we hear any type of sounds that are associated with an obstruction? Now, breath sounds can be auscultated, which is using a stethoscope, and they also can be audible. We can actually hear someone's lung sounds in some emergencies, such as an asthmatic or anaphylactic, which the patient presents with audible wheezes. So the different sounds that you're going to learn over your course are we have wheezing, strider, snoring, rails, ronchi, absent, or diminished. Now, Strider and snoring are upper respiratory lung sounds that we can possibly correct. Wheezing, rails, and ronchi are lower uh, respiratory. So in wheezing, we have bronchoconstriction, which gives us a whistling sound. What happens, especially in the anaphylactic patient, or the, yeah, the anaphylactic patient, is that the bronchioles will fill with mucus, and as they fill with mucus, it become the airway passages become narrow, and as the wind pa- or as the breath passes through that, that causes that wheezing sound. Strider, once again, upper airway, is a high-pitched crowing sound, and that has to do associated with the air- the upper airway passages starting to close down on the patient. Snoring is a upper airway, which is partially blocked, usually the tongue, or it could also be some soft tissue blocking the airway through some swelling because maybe we have a patient who got a respiratory burn and now those airway passages are starting to swell. Next, we have rails. Rails are basically fluid in the lung. So this is our congestive heart failure patient that you're going to learn about. Here it is, what I want you to take away from rails. Rails, in my book, is one of the scariest calls that we can go on. And the reason is this. The heart has failed, and now the blood that would be going throughout the body is backing up into the lungs. The lungs are starting to fill with fluid. When you see your patient, imagine your patient is underneath the water, sucking in water into their lungs and drowning right in front of you. This is exactly what's happening. It's scary because they 
are so scared and they have that look of fear that you will never, ever forget it. When you do listen to someone's lungs, it sounds like bubbling, and that's the air passing through the lungs as it's trying to get through this fluid, and that's what rails is. Last but not least, we can have absent or diminished lung sounds, which could be associated with apnea, a pneumothorax, whatever that may be. So we'll be talking about those more in future lectures. So how do we determine if our patients have adequate ventilations? Well, is the rate normal? Are we getting that 12 to 20? What's the rhythm like? Do we have a consistent rise and fall of the chest wall over an extended period of time? And depth. Do we have good chest rise, good tidal volume? And then we auscultate. These are going to allow us to determine if our patient has adequate ventilations. So on quality, breath sounds. Are they present? Are they equal? Is the movement of air from the mouth and or nose? Does the chest fully expand? And is there minimal effort to breathing? Remember, ladies and gentlemen, when people are breathing, it should, be, it should look effortless. In other words, sometimes we may even have to stare at them to determine if they're breathing normal. So that's why I tell you guys when you're sitting in class, look over. Don't be creepy. No one likes creepy, dude, right? Don't be creepy. But look at the person's body, their chest, to see how their breathing looks. Once again, if you know what normal looks like, abnormal will be screaming at you when you're on those patients. Now, how do we know if someone has inadequate ventilations? Well, the rate could be less than 12, greater than 20. The rhythm can be irregular, like we talked about that chain stokes breathing that they're doing fast breathing in periods of apnea. Um, maybe the, the, the depth of the chest is very shallow or they have an increased depth, like it's over-exaggerated. These are all things that we're looking for when we assess our patient. When we're looking at that quality, when we're listening to the lung sounds, do the lung sounds like, do they sound like they're moving air or does it sound like it's diminished or do you hear noises in the lungs? Is there reduced flow of air going through the nose and the mouth? Are, you, are they just taking like that shallow respirations? Once again, going back to chest expansion, is it unequal? Is it inadequate? And is the patient now using accessory muscles to breathe because they're having that difficulty breathing? These are all things that we are looking for. Now, there are also some associated signs of inadequate breathing. The skin could be pale or blue, as well as it could be cool and clammy. Now, you got to remember this. We always start pale, then we turn blue. Remember that, especially for testing purposes. We always start pale, then we turn blue. Now, going to those accessory muscles, are we seeing retractions above the clavicles? Are we seeing them like suck in right there at that where the clavicles are? Are you able to see the intercostal muscles between each rib? These are all things that we're looking for when we're assessing the use of accessory muscles. Now, the signs and symptoms associated with respiratory distress are these. Tachypnea, tachycardia, accessory muscle use, which appears labor, pale to cyanotic skin, the patient putting themselves in an upright to tripod position. Are they having speech issues? In other words, are they able to talk in full sentences or do they have to take a breath in between words? Do you hear abnormal sounds and are there any abnormal patterns? These are the signs and symptoms of respiratory distress. Well, ladies and gentlemen, 
That is it for your lecture on respiratory systems. It is a short lecture, and the reason for that is if you have been listening to my podcast, you know that one lecture builds upon the next lecture. They're kind of in sequence. This lecture um, is a new record, so I will be labeling it properly, but that's what's going to happen. So you're going to have a, an associated lecture. It's Actually, it's already uh, posted on respiratory emergencies where we do some review of this lecture and then we jump into the various different emergencies that EMTs will come across. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that is it. I will be signing off. This is Chris, the public safety guru. Once again, you can follow me at C-A-N-O-E-M-T-P and at thepublicsafetyguru.com. If you have the opportunity through your various different apps that you use to listen to podcasts to rate these podcasts, please leave me feedback. Please leave me ratings. If you're able to give me suggestions, throw some suggestions out there. I'm looking for everything to uh, improve these podcasts as well as I'm trying to build up my follower base because it does mean a lot in the podcast world. It gives me the ability to be able to podcast and then podcast on various different platforms. Okay, that's enough of me talking. Good luck on your next block exam and good luck if you're taking National Registry.